we have much to cover and uh, communion. So uh, I'm going to pray. We're going to jump right in. Lord, stand on my feet. Think with my brain. Speak with my mouth. Beat in my heart. Give me your words for your people, not my words for them. Lord, you love your scripture because it's your story and how you've interacted with us. Help us see your love in this passage today and help us understand your call in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the spirit that lives within us, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and it's surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for such a long time, he asked him, do, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, I'm going to pause there because there's, there's something cool going on here that most of us don't see. Um, it's called a remez. Now, a remez, to, to just put it as simply as I can, is when an Old Testament or a New Testament author or a speaker, like Jesus does this a lot, but John does it a lot. Uh, Paul does it quite often. But when a speaker speaks words or, a, or, or an author writes words in such a way that it triggers people who know the Old Testament to remember a major event and the stuff that comes along with it. There's something here that you and I, we read it go, man, 38 years, that guy's been sick. He's been an invalid for a long time. And I honestly, I don't know what happened to him. Some people will argue, invalid just means bedridden, really. Um, some people argue he was a paralytic from the chest or the waist down. And I don't know what happened to the guy. I don't know if he got run over by a chariot when he was playing kick the gourd. I have no idea. Um, they were going to order Little Caesar. No, I'm just, I'm done. I'm done. Um, I don't know what happened to him, but he's been this way for a long, I'm 54 years old. He's been an invalid for 38 years. That would be most of my life. That's a long time. But John could have written this and said, you know, one who was lying there had been an invalid all of his life, but he didn't. He picked the fact that this man had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, I believe this man exists. I believe this miracle happened. I believe that Jesus did what he did, said what he said. This guy answered the way he did, and this guy walks away. And we'll talk about the walking away here in a minute. But I also know John. I know Johannine literature pretty well. And John always has, here's the story, and here's another part of the story, and then here's a story. He's writing, he's an evangelist. He's writing to people that, that either, both people that don't, have never heard anything about the Old Testament, they're not Jewish, but also to those who do. And when he says, one who had been lying there, he had been an invalid for 38 years, there's only one other time in all of the Bible where the three words, well, it's really two because it's hyphenated, 30 hyphen eight years is used. It's in Deuteronomy chapter two, verse 14. That's the remez. Now, here's, here's what happened. Jesus, 
interaction with this guy. It is the story in and of itself, but Jesus does it when he does it at the Sabbath festival. He's just in John, we're just beginning the, 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 the cycle of festivals that he, he brings Jesus into all these things. And he starts with the one that happens every week, Sabbath. That was instituted back in Deuteronomy. Here's when we, so the people of God were in captivity for 400 years in Egypt. We know this, most of us know this story. And if you're not familiar with it, it's a lot of reading, but if you just go back and read Exodus, you'll get, you'll get a pretty good picture of it. But um, the people of God had been in captivity and they started off being close to God and being faithful to God. And then they drifted from God. They became slaves, which is not a good thing. All the rules set up, all the ways they lived, all the gods they served were all Egyptian gods, rules, rituals, and all that kind of stuff. So when God rescued them and brought them out of Egypt, they had no idea whose they were. They did not know how to be a people because they had just been told what to be. They were owned persons. They were thingified before they came into the, to, to the desert. But when God had done these miraculous signs, brought them through the Red Sea, had, had crashed it over Pharaoh's army, had done just these unbelievable things, God sits them in a spot and he sends Moses up a mountain so that God can speak to Moses to give Moses in, with his own finger, God carves into stone the 10 guidelines on how you're gonna become my people the Ten Commandments. While Moses is up there getting those hand-carved rules for living from God, the people of God decided to melt down the gold that they had and make a cow or several of them. It depends on how you read the passage. And then offer up slaughter animals at the feet of this cow that they just made up and say, you brought us out of Egypt. God looked at that and went, whoa, these people are so far gone. I'm paraphrasing. These people are so far gone, we need to make a change. They need some time to become my people. And he says, because of this apostasy, that just when God's people, we see it over and over. It's called the cycle of apostasy. People are faithful to God. Things go well. And then they get comfortable. They don't need God. So they, they drift. And then they start worshiping other gods. And then terrible things happen. It's the cycle of apostasy. It happens over and over and over again. They did that. They, they did wrong in the sight of God. And God said to them, you're gonna get the land that I promised you, the promised land, but no one who's of age, who's an adult right now will make it there. I need to raise up a new generation so that they know who they are and whose they are. So Deuteronomy chapter two, verse 14 says, after 38 years, that generation that was alive that had made the cows, they're gone. And the other generations have now grown up and are of age. When John mentions that he had been an invalid for 38 years, all those Jewish listeners go back and they go, 38 years. And they don't look forward 38 from 38 years. They look back and they go, oh, I might be, is he saying I might be one of those that doesn't get what God has promised? That question is in their head when they hear this story. John's not accidental in his authorship. Now, keep that in mind as we read. Do you, want to, do you want to get well? Sir, there's no one to help me in the pool. Oh, if you're not familiar with this passage, if you've been in the church a while, you've heard this passage, if you've been to a camp, you probably understand this, but, but in the gospel according to John, there's a verse that's missing in, 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 in John 5, and it's footnoted in a study Bible. 
but just in case you don't know the legend behind this pool that we're talking about, and those of you online, if you're not familiar with the story, just let me give you, I don't know how it happened, but I do know that over time when people were, 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 were writing the scriptures, when they were uh, making copies, they didn't have PDFs. So they, they, would, they would scribe, and people were getting confused. What is it about this, this pool, this water stirred, and I'd get in and I can't, I can't get in and get well? Well, there was a legend, and so a scribe kind of offered it in there. Like, here's a little explanatory thing. We know that it's not in the scriptures because it's not in the earliest of the manuscripts. And Christians don't like scripture that's not scripture. So it's been footnoted. But here's the background of that pool of Bethesda. The legend has it, and I don't know if it actually happened or not. I wasn't there. I'm not that old. But the legend was that every now and then around this pool, an angel would come and dip its wing in the pool and stir the waters up. And if you were the first one in before the ripple settled, whatever your ailment, you're healed. And I've had an opportunity to recite this passage on, on the, the portico outside of, I had to go down into the, to where the pool was, but I got to do this from memory and, and, and quote this passage and walk down the stairs and dip my hands in that pool. It was a glorious experience for me. It's one of my favorite passages. In a moment, you're going to find out why. It was life transforming for me. But when he says, there's no one to help me into the pool, every time I try to get in there, someone gets in there ahead of me, it's, what he's saying is, I want to, I can't get well. But that's not the question Jesus asked him. He didn't say, why aren't you well? He said, do you want to get well? And the guy, anyway. And Jesus said to him, and the Greek is funny here. Notice the exclamation, exclamation point. It's, it's how the author's trying to tell, it's how the English translators are trying to tell us something's going on. Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. I love that. Main thing's the main thing here. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, well, who is this fellow who told you to pick, up and, pick it up and walk? The man, was, the man who was healed had no idea who, who it was, for Jesus kind of slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews, that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, we'll get back to that further in the story. We're not gonna read the whole chapter. That was my original plan, but I had forgotten that it was Communion Sunday and all of that. Um, there's, a, there's a passage here that pastors would just as soon not be in the scriptures because we have a natural human tendency to when something happens poorly in our lives, to ask God, to assume that we've done something wrong, that it's 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 that there's reciprocity with God. You reap what you sow, right? So I, if, if I'm diagnosed with something awful or if I have to have another surgery, and this has gone through my head many times, what did I do, Lord? What, what have I done? What am I being punished for? What is it that I don't know that you're trying to teach me? And, and that's a legitimate question because scripture is full of times when, when God says, in fact, the only time God tells us, the omnipotent one, the all-powerful one, one time in scripture, he tells us that he's tired. He says, I am tired of withholding your sin from you. He's just tired of them not seeing the consequence. If you want to be that miserable, fine. 
There are times, that cycle of apostasy that we just talked about, there are times when God allows the consequence of our sin. And there is always consequence to our sin. The wages, what we earn from our sin is death. And that's not death one day, that's spiritual death right now. So yes, it is true that when he says to them, you're well now, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I don't know this guy's story. Jesus does though. Just like he knew Nathaniel before he ever saw him, he knows. So I don't know if the guy was coming out of a local pub and he was just feeling no pain and he walked out and that chariot came by and ran him out. I don't know. But Jesus telling him, be who you're supposed to be, do what you're supposed to do and go where you're supposed to go. Stop doing what you shouldn't do, being who you shouldn't be and going where you shouldn't go. Pretty simple. But I want you to know too, if you keep reading John, you'll get to John chapter nine and there's a man born blind and, and Jesus heals him. And someone says, who, who sinned that this man was born blind? And Jesus goes, no one sinned that he was born blind. I don't, God doesn't behave that way. This man was blind so that God could be glorified in this moment. So if you're one of those people who thinks when bad things happen, God is punishing you. If he is, you'll know what it was. If he's not, then it's something that he's allowed that he could have prevented so that he can be glorified in you. You might not like that, but there's some truth there. Now, I wanna talk about this guy for a second because there's two ways to look at this passage. One is compassionate and pastoral. The other is the Trent way. So here's the compassionate and pastoral way. Do you want to, invalid, 38 years, been lying there. He's, he shows up. He's got to beg money basically for his existence. And, and, and Jesus comes and goes, you've been like this a long, you, do you want to get well? Well, there's no one to help me into the pool. Every time I try to get, someone gets in there ahead of me. I mean, this guy is bought into a system that cannot give him that which he needs from it. He, he's, he's, he's not blind, but the blind people can hear the water get stirred, but get up and get in. He's not deaf, but the deaf people can see the water get stirred and get up and get in. He can both see and hear the water when it gets stirred, but he cannot get up and get in. He's bought into, he needs healing, but he cannot get it. That system that he's bought into, the thing that he's devoted his life to, the place that he lies every day cannot give him that which he needs. And so Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, be well. It's the same thing he says to the little girl who's dead. He says, Talitha kum, arise, little one. It's the same thing he says to, the, to, to the, the dead guy at Nain, the widow's son. He's dead and he says, get up. The same thing he says to the paralytic when, he, when his teenage friends, they're teenagers, I know it, because they, didn't, they were more concerned about their buddy than they were about the homeowner's roof. He's tore through... <laughs> Flopped him down and Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. He says the same thing over and over and over again. To, they're, they're in a condition that they cannot fix, they can't fix. And that's a glorious thing. And if that's true, that it's the compassionate way of looking at it, then Jesus is saying the same thing to the Jews. If you watch the rest of this passage, and I, I, before the game tonight, please read the rest of John 5 because Jesus gets put on trial in the fifth chapter of John. The other, the other gospels, it's way later, but man, this is set up just like a trial. They come to him and they, they accuse Jesus that he, you healed on the Sabbath. What a terrible thing to do. But you healed on the Sabbath and then Jesus says, 
He says, my father's always working, so I'm always working. Then they get mad because he's blasphemous. He just called God his father and making him equal with God. And so they, they accuse him of breaking the Sabbath and of blasphemy, and they plot to kill him. Now notice that they're upset with him that he's healing someone on the Sabbath, and on the very same Sabbath, they're plotting murder. How backwards can this get? So these people, in their minds, they start accusing Jesus, and Jesus walks through it just like a trial. He tells them that he understands the accusation. He brings up witnesses, he, and then he turns it around like a good defense attorney and takes the accusations off of himself and back onto them. It's glorious. It's called a diatribe, and it is unbelievable how, how much wisdom is in this. But he tells them certain things in this passage. He says, moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all, see, they're trying to judge him. And he's saying, no, 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 I'm the judge. All judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent me. And then later he says, you have never heard his voice nor seen his form, uh, not, uh, nor does his word dwell in you. He basically says, if you don't receive me, you're doomed. They've bought into a system that cannot and will never give them that which they need. They will not find redemption from the sacrificial, ritualistic worldview. Jesus came to fulfill all that, to make it so that one sacrifice for all, it's done. He's not, he hasn't finished it yet, but he's letting them know, hey, watch out, you might be one of those who don't get what God has planned for you, what he's promised you, I'm it. That's the compassionate way of looking at it. And this man represents Israel and the leaders of the God's people. But here's the Trent way of looking at this, because this verse, this passage changed my life. It started me on a path of seeking, for, seeking to forgive someone that took me more time than I'd like to admit. When Jesus learned that he had been in this condition for such a long time, he looked down and he said, do you, do you want to get well? I was at a camp, I want to say 1985, might have been 1986, called Castaway Club in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. See, weeks before that, I was living on a uh, 365 college, I believe it was, um, living in a house uh, downtown Holland. I was a, either, it was either after my freshman year or sophomore year of college. And um, I got a letter in the mail from a bishop. I'm not Catholic. And if you come from a Catholic background or if you're still a practicing Catholic, I am not saying anything negative about your faith. In fact, my dad, who converted to Catholicism, that's what this was about, actually found, he was saved through that. He, he found Christ in this conversion. But I didn't know that, and I was a bitter young man. My dad had cheated on my mom for seven years. He left the family. He married the person that he cheated with my mom. And it was really not a good time for me, and I was developing much bitterness. And I got a letter from a, from a bishop that says that your dad is seeking to have his marriage with your mom annulled. You have any thoughts on the matter? Yep, a couple of them were Christian. And I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. I never sent it because I just got full of poison and venom. Because now this isn't what the Catholic Church believes, but this is what I felt as a 20 or 21 year old young man or 19 or 20 year, year old young man. My dad is asking the church to say that I am an illegitimate son. Now, that's not what they believe, but that's what I thought they believed. And he's asking God, as he sees God, to consider me no longer my dad's son because the marriage never happened. 
oh, it was I. So I, I got in a car and I drove to Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. I called ahead because I'd worked there before and I volunteered for a month and they gave me the worst job there, town runner. It's about a 40-minute trip, 40, 40, 45-minute trip in an old beat-up Mazda truck into town, into Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, um, to pick up everything from steel and angle iron to groceries, bananas for the luau. And one time, because there was a group of middle school kids there, and I'll be nice here, but sometimes when many middle school girls get together in the same place, place, a certain thing happens for the very first time for all of them that has never happened before and that no 20-year-old young man should ever have to buy product for. (laughs) In the grocery store, two grocery baskets full, and they did price checks. Hey, I want you to price check. That's an aside, but it is funny. (laughs) I spent a lot of time that month alone in a car or alone in a town I didn't know. And over time, I had gone to this camp because I wanted to be around people who, who believed what I believed and saw the world the way I saw it, Christians. And, but the bitterness kept building. And this guy, Steve, I don't, know his la- I don't remember his last name. I can tell you what he did for a living, but he's the summer staff director and he's leading a devotional one day and he picks John 5. And I, I don't know many of these people because I, I showed up a couple of days late and I'm the guy who's always off camp. So all the community building and all that kind of stuff, I'm not around for it. I'm alone, me and God, and I'm ticked. And he's reading this and he goes, well, Jesus learned that he had been in this condition for such a long time. He looked at the man and he said, do you wanna get well? And so Steve did what every youth pastor, every young life leader does with this passage. Pick someone in the group and say, do you wanna get well? And I went off. I go, you don't understand. Seven years of fair annulment. I think I stole his car. I had been borrowing my dad's car. And when all this happened, I had it for over a month. He never called to get it, but he wasn't getting it back for a while. Steve was smart. He grabbed me and took me aside, set me on the deck overlooking, I think it's North Detroit Lake. And he goes, what's going on? He had no idea. And I just wept, wept and angry and stuff coming out of my nose. And he goes, you know what's interesting? I don't hardly, I hardly know this guy. I've known him for maybe two weeks. And he looks at me and he goes, you answered the question from Jesus the same way the invalid did. There's no one to help me get in the pool. Every time I try to get in, someone gets in there ahead of me. That's the Trent way. He told G, he gave an excuse why he wasn't well. And so did I. I didn't want to be well. I wanted justice. I wanted to forgive my father when he deserved it and when he asked for it and when he got on his knees and begged for forgiveness. I didn't want to give him forgiveness because Jesus forgave me. It's possible that the Jewish people, the leaders especially, are behaving the same way. We don't want to be better. We don't want to know what God wants. We've got this thing set up. We know how it works. We have a good relationship with Rome. We, we, we know where the taxes were. We, we, we get it. Don't really want to get well. So this man is a man, and this did happen to him. But he also, because of how John authored it, it represents the Jewish people from the beginning of the Exodus. And it represents the Jewish people right then. And Jesus articulates it in that little trial that he has with them, he calls them out. You don't want to get well either. 
You claim to know the word of God. You diligently study scripture, but the word of God is not in you. And you will not listen to the one that all those scriptures talk about. And it's not just Jesus saying that I'm gonna condemn you. Moses, the one you count on, he condemns you because he spoke of me, but you won't listen to me. So I gotta ask you folks, do you wanna get well? I mean, really? Or have you done what all humans do? Have you bought into a system that cannot give you that which you want? I know you wouldn't say it. You, you, you believe what's here, but, but sometimes all of us have something in our lives where we're like, yeah, 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 I know what God wants. I know what God says, but I got this. I've got a family member who believes that if he's just good, he's in. Jesus doesn't, isn't divine. That's, that's, that's destruction, but in some way, we do this, all of us, how we treat our spouse, what we do when no one's looking, how we raise our children, how we treat the person. Now, it's tax season. Are you going to talk about all your income or just the stuff that's reported? See, God wants us to be who we're supposed to be, to do what we're supposed to do, and to go where we're supposed to go, not be who we want to be, do what we want to do, and go where we want to go. Because that's the cycle of apostasy. That's what people have been doing over. Basically, what they're saying is, we don't love you, God. Jesus tells us in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. If I'm not looking for every command, searching the scriptures, so that I can do what he wants me to do, so that I can love him the way he loves me, then something's wrong. Maybe there's an area or multiple areas in your life that you've decided, yeah, 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 I got it, but I'm gonna do it this way. Scripture tells you that that's a system that cannot, will not ever give you what you cannot justify yourself before God. You cannot make yourself right before God. You, you cannot, but Jesus can. That's the system that will give you what you need. And if you receive for yourself the gift that he offers, the promise of God for his people, then you can become who God wants you to be. You can do what God wants you to do, and you can go where God wants you to go. Or you can lay by a pool begging money so that you don't have to do anything. Or you can be bitter at a person long-term because God knows how bad they hurt you and he's okay with you not letting them off the hook. It's not scripture. If you forgive those who sin against you, my heavenly father will forgive you. If you don't, he won't. I don't like it. And that's what I had to come face to face with in an August Bible study with snot coming out of my nose when I realized that my dad had sinned against me and I wanted to make him pay. And that was my sin against him. So folks, right here, communion. It is 
a command. Just like when Jesus said to the man, get up. He didn't need faith that would move a mountain. He needed faith that would move muscles. Because when Jesus said, get up, he's already healed. But if he doesn't respond in obedience and engage his core and try to sit up, to trust, to obey the command, he will never experience what God has already given him. And you can take that principle all the way through scripture. When God says, this is what I want, and we say, yes, Lord, we experience all that he has for us. But when he says, this is what I want, or this is what's for you, and you say, nope, you never experience the promise that God has offered. Communion is an example of a time when God says, remember me. It's a command. But he doesn't mean just remember what I've done. He's saying, remember who I am, who I was, who I am, and who I'm always going to be. And remember whose you are, whose you were, whose you are, and who you're going to be. Remember that God has promised to make you well, starting here first. So I'm going to invite Pastor Doug to come up. I'm going to offer a prayer. He's going to walk through this, and then we're going to experience this together. I just want you to know that if you can say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and mean it, you are welcome to receive communion. But if there's someone that you're kind of bitter against and you're holding off, you're like, ah, maybe I should take a bath. Well, maybe you should. Because Paul says if you eat and drink this in an unworthy manner, you're eating and drinking condemnation on yourself. And I don't want that for you. But if, but if you heard the words of Jesus, do you want to get well? And you say, yes, Lord, then taking this little bit and taking this little sip can be your way of saying, your way, Lord, not mine. And then it's not condemnation. It's salvific. It's saving. It changes who you are here. It'll make you well. That's up to your will because his will is for it to do just that. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for this man who was sick for 38 years. Thank you too that he didn't understand the question. And thank you, Lord, that we don't have to buy into systems that will not give us that which we need. We need to be right with you. We need to be redeemed. We need to be saved. We need to have hope. And thank you for being the answer to all those needs, the fulfillment of all those needs, and the one who makes promises and never breaks them. It's in his name, for his sake, and for his glory we pray. Amen. Uh, the title of the message was, It Begins dot, 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 again. And that was intentional because today it begins for you again. Do you want to get well? Jesus will ask you that question every day. Do you want to be faithful? God will give you that opportunity every day. It begins again, but for the first time. Oswald Chambers was one asked, once asked, when did you become a Christian? And he said, you mean, you mean the first time? That's a good thing. God moves to make you who he wants you to be, to do what he wants you to do, and to go where he wants you to go. So receive his good word for you. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. Smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, Amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.